Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, over the last... uh well, five, seven years or so, you hear a lot about justice. There are people that are just convinced that things have not been right and they need to be made right. And uh, so you hear that term justice, justice needs to be served. Now, it seems to me like there's so many people now crying for justice, it's really hard to figure out exactly who really deserves justice and who maybe is just kind of getting on the bandwagon. But arguably, if there was someone that deserved justice or needs justice to be served, it's God. Have you ever sat and thought about it? I mean, there isn't anyone, any person, and I know I'm talking about God in kind of uh, anthropomorphic terms here, but there isn't anyone whose rights have been more trampled on than God's. There isn't anyone whose character has been more maligned than God's. I mean, honestly, if anyone deserves justice, it's God. If anyone uh, needs things to be made right in terms of how people relate to him, it's God. Well, that raises a question, okay? How in the world is God going to make things right? How in the world is justice going to get served in relation to God. Well, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to do something today that I've been wanting to do for about two or three years. We are going to start a study, a sermon series, on the book of Revelation. Because you know what? The book of Revelation tells how God makes everything right. The book of Revelation is basically the the way that justice is going to be served in relation to God. Now, I find this really kind of fascinating, one of those kind of neat uh, coincidences that uh, God just kind of puts in our lives every once in a while. This was put in uh, the offering baskets or the box out in the lobby, but this is that little feedback form, you know, that's in the bulletin, just, just an advertisement that we actually look at those things and pay attention to this. Read the comment if you can. Would you do a long series, sermon series on Revelation? Not the end times views, but the ver- verse by verse. Well, you know what? If you put that in, today is your lucky day because we provide, you know? I mean, you know, we're here to serve. I think that came in the offering on uh, October 8th. And if that was yours, I'd love to know who, 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 who you are. But anyway, you know, this is something I've been wanting to do for a long time because, you know, the book of Revelation, it, it, it is so cool because it, it not only tells us, you know, what's out there in the future, it not only tells us how justice is going to be served, you know what it also tells us? It doesn't just tell us what Jesus is going to do. There's a big emphasis that often gets missed. 
And that is, it tells us who Jesus is. See, arguably, one of the big emphases of the book of Revelation is not just what he does, it's who he is. And so I'm kind of calling these, this series of sermons here. And by the way, I don't know how long that person thought they should be, but, you know, it, it may not be long enough. It may be too long, but I don't know how long it's going to be. We're just going to see. I know it's going to go into next year. We're, I know we're not going to be done by Thanksgiving. So uh, just uh, we're going to be here a while because it's a long book. But the thing that is so cool about it is it reveals who Jesus is. So I'm going to call these uh, sermons uh, Jesus Revealed. Because when you go to the book of Revelation, you see all this stuff that God does, but it's told to us in such a way so that we know who he is, particularly who Jesus Christ is. Boy, if there's anything that all of us need, if there's anything that all of the rest of humanity needs, it is a more clear, concise, compelling vision of Jesus Christ. And that's actually what you get out of the book of Revelation. It's not just a detail of how God's going to make everything right. It's not just a detail of how justice is going to be served. It is a portrait. It's the revelation of Jesus. So we're going to start today in chapter 1 and and get through it. So I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. Now, if you're using your phone and you've got an app that lets you choose the, the, the version, I'm using the New American Standard. You can use any version you want, but uh, that's the one that I'm using, so that'll help you follow along a little bit. But let me just give you a few facts about the book of Revelation. Just, just look at the screen here, okay? The book of Revelation, here it is in a nutshell. It's a vision of Jesus and what he will do seen and recorded by the Apostle John in about 95 A.D., while he was in prison on Patmos, and it's all written and recorded for the seven churches of Asia Minor. That's kind of the the backdrop information you need to know about the book of Revelation. It's written by the Apostle John, and you'll notice it was written in about 95. AD. So he's an old man. He's, he's easily in his 90s. Probably all the other apostles are dead by now. Most all of them have been martyred for their confession of Jesus Christ, their belief in who he was. And uh, John is alone, left, and God provided him with this vision. We're going to see that it actually took place on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, And it was while he was in prison on the island of Patmos, which is just out there uh, off the the coast of uh, uh, Greece, or excuse me, Asia Minor, in the Aegean Sea. Now, Patmos is kind of like Alcatraz. You ever been to San Francisco or you know anything about San Francisco and the bay and all that? There's an island out there in the middle, and there was a prison there, Alcatraz. That's what Patmos was like. John's out there in the middle of this this prison island called Patmos. And he's there because 
he's an ardent believer in Jesus Christ. And the Roman Empire threw him in jail, threw him in prison, just like they had done to Peter, just like they had done to Paul, and just like they had done to a lot of them. And he is there for the faith. And one Sunday afternoon, he sees this incredible vision, and God says, I want you to write it down, and I want you to send it to the seven primary churches of Asia Minor. We'll see who they are in just a little bit. But that's what the book of Revelation is. Now, let's, let's look at it here, because what we're going to do today is consider chapter 1. So let me just start reading here, and then I'll stop in a minute and make some comments. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. Have you ever seen that before, verse 3? Isn't that incredible? We would do better to read the word of God, and we'd do better to read it out loud. There's something about us reading it out loud, and there's something about hearing someone read it out loud. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. Verse 4, that's good, and that was all kind of the little introduction. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. We'll talk about that here in just a minute, the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the rulers of the kingdoms of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will mourn over him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, all of that is just kind of the, the introduction, the preamble. And that's where we learn a lot of what I just shared with you about how it's written by John. But it's also, the, it's not just telling us what Jesus is going to do, how he's going to enact justice to make all things right, Boy, there's a great glimpse of just who he is. Now, we could walk through it verse by verse, but having read it, you kind of know the gist, okay? This is, this is all the, the standard information that goes into a, a letter that was written in those days. Uh, there's a nice little greeting, grace and peace to you. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm writing it to the seven churches, and it's being written by me. 
the Apostle John. And he, he has some theological stuff there in verses 4 and 5 about God and the Spirit and Jesus Christ and all that stuff. Maybe the best way to kind of tackle the information that's in this is just to, to look at it from the, the, the titles that are in here. Look at the titles that are given to Jesus. Let me just camp out on a few of those. Verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. And from the seven spirits who are this before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. First thing I want you to kind of think about. He's describing Jesus as the faithful witness. What might he be referring to there? I think he's saying... Jesus was the one who revealed to us the Father. If you go over to John's Gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you go to John's Gospel in verse 1, I think it's down at verse 18, he's talking about what Jesus did, and he said Jesus is the one who revealed to us the Father. You know, interesting, there's so many things that we learned about God just from Jesus. And we know a whole bunch about God without Jesus, just from the Old Testament. But Jesus just added so much more to that body of truth. I mean, do you know we never would have referred to God as Father were it not for Jesus? I mean, Moses, David, Solomon... Ezra, none of them would have ever thought of calling the first person of the Trinity, God Almighty, none of them would have ever thought to call him Father. But Jesus is the faithful witness who supplied us with so much information. Jesus is the one who came and, and kind of filled in the gaps of how things are going to work in God's plan. He's the faithful witness. Look at the next title. He's the firstborn of the dead. And see that, see that term, firstborn? It, it, it's a little hard to fully capture the meaning in, in the English language, but it's basically a title. Jesus wasn't the first person to come back from the dead. I mean, you know, there's people raised from the dead in the Old Testament. Jesus himself raised people from the, from the dead. There was other people that were raised from the dead after Jesus by Paul or Peter. But the term firstborn means like first rank, the most significant one, the one that really counted because he's the one that through his death and resurrection accomplished salvation, secured salvation. So he's the firstborn one of the dead. He's the ruler. Here's another one. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Just think about that. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. You take all the heads of state. You know, I think there's somewhere around 160 nations that are recognized, and each one of them has some sort of 
head of state. We know about ours. We know about a few others that are out there. But think about it. Jesus is the king of all of those 160 heads of states. He always has been. He always will be. He's the, you know, the, the other title that kind of goes with this. He's the king of kings. That's who Jesus is. Look at the next one. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I mean, he is the one who, who loved us and provided the salvation that we have. I mean, our relationship with God has not, would have not been fixed had it been, not been for what Jesus Christ did. It's not in the text, but I think he could give him another title. He is the Savior. He's the one that took care of your sins. He's the one that took care of my sins. It was sin that had separated us from God. It's sin that makes God seem so distant from us. And Jesus is the one that removed that sin. He's the one that gave God what God needed. In verse 7, he said, Behold, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. He's the coming one. Another title. Verse 8. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. Jesus is being called the Almighty. Isn't this cool? I mean, here here you've got Jesus Christ being addressed in this introductory preamble to how God's going to fix everything. And we're seeing that he is the King of Kings. He's the Almighty. He's the Savior. He's the one who fixed the big problem between humanity and God. He is the king of kings. He is the, the, the one who, who testifies to the truth and does so faithfully. That's who Jesus Christ is. And all of that stuff John put in there because he wants us to understand just exactly who Jesus Christ is. Look at verse 9. Let me read here. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, I was on this island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. It's just kind of a, a nice way of saying I got put in jail for preaching. I got put in jail because I actually took Jesus at face value and believed what he said. And I had the audacity to go tell people about it. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Throughout the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, the Lord's Day, that's Sunday. It's the day Jesus rose from the dead. It's one of the reasons we worship on Sunday. And I heard behind me this loud voice that sounded like a trumpet 
And that loud voice was saying to me, verse 11, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. So there's kind of his instructions as to what he's supposed to do with this this vision that he's about to see. Remember, he, he is in jail on the island of Patmos, It's Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Maybe he's slumbering, you know. Sunday afternoon naps have been around for a long time, and they're just kind of holy, sacred things to do. And maybe John was having his Sunday afternoon nap, but somehow he was caught up into this vision, and he hadn't seen anything just yet, but he hears this voice behind him saying, I want you to write all this stuff down and send it to those seven significant churches that are over there in Asia, you know, 50, 75 miles over to the continent, if you will. I want you to write it down because they need to see this. And then look what happens. Verse 12. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, what are these seven golden lampstands? Well, skip down to verse 20. He says, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and in the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, are the seven churches. So, so here he is, he's going to see Jesus walking among these lampstands, these seven lampstands, and those seven lampstands refer to these seven churches that he was supposed to write this vision up for. Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Laodicea, etc. And, and notice how they're described. I mean, wh- why lampstands? Why not wills or tires or, or buckets? Why is it? I mean, the lampstand is like this perfect symbol, image of what a church is supposed to be. A church is supposed to be, like the old preachers used to say, a lighthouse. It's supposed to be a place that you could look for and say, oh, there's the truth. There's the truth being taught. What did uh, you write this down if you're taking notes? Uh, we won't take the time to turn to it, but, but 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul said, I'm writing to you, Timothy, so that you'll know how to function in the family of God, in the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. In other words, the image is that we hold up the truth. And so in a day and age when when people do not know the truth, they should be able to look at us, this local church, and be able to say, that's the truth. Why? Because we're making it up? No, but because we've got the truth in the Word of God and we're holding it up. Here's what you're supposed to think about marriage. Here's what you're supposed to think about gender. Here's what you're supposed to think about work ethics. Here's what you're supposed to think about money. Here's what you're supposed to think about morality. Don't look at us, because we're all sinners. And we mess up regularly. 
But look at this thing we hold up. I mean, the day when a church stops holding up the word of God, it ceases to be that lampstand, that lighthouse. And so notice that, that he also, he says these lampstands, they're golden. Now, the last time I checked, a golden lampstand, you don't, they don't sell those at Target or Walmart. Those are precious. In fact, they're pretty much out of most of our budgets. I mean, a golden lampstand, that, that's a precious thing. And I'll just make a pitch here for church. I mean, this is awesome. The church is valuable in God's eyes. Maybe in today's society, in today's culture, the church is seen as this irrelevant, out-of-date thing that, you know, a bunch of dysfunctional people get together and do a bunch of dysfunctional things, and then they go home and recreate their dysfunction in their home. But the truth of the matter is what we're doing is incredibly valuable in God's eyes. I mean, the church, as I've said many, many times, is the most underutilized asset that any individual or family could have. That's why I'm telling you always to run to the center of the church because there is something incredibly valuable about the community of Christ, the family of God. And when you move to the periphery of the family of God, you're just like a sitting duck. You know, I never really understood that, uh, that expression, sitting duck, because we didn't have ducks up in Salt Lake when I was growing up. I didn't know that until I went duck hunting with Calvin Court about a bazillion years ago, and I knew that sitting ducks were ones that I could actually hit. You know, the flying ducks, and, you know, couldn't get them, but a sitting duck, you know, even Richard can take a few of them out. I mean, we are, are th this, this entity of the local church that holds up the word of God, God says, you're golden. These are golden lampstands. So look, look back at the text here. He sees these seven golden lampstands. And I, in the middle of the lampstands, there was one like the Son of Man. And, and look at his appearance. Again, we could just kind of walk through it here with all these, these details, just like all the titles that were in the, the, the preamble. He's, he's, got a, he's, he's clothed in a robe that reaches to his feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. Again, those aren't cheap. His head and his hair were white, just like Richard's. Look at that, you know? It's kind of a little humor. I mean, you guys can relax and laugh at it, okay? His head and his hair are white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, by the way, as I walk through this, I want you to think about not just the image that, of Jesus that is presented in the gospel, but uh, in the Gospels, plural, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But think about the popular view of Jesus even today. I mean, we think of Jesus as this meek and mild, gentle and lowly individual. And, and yes, he was. And he is. But the truth of the matter is, he is also this person here with his white hair, 
And his eyes, look at verse halfway through verse 14, his eyes were like flaming fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze. That's kind of cool. Burnished bronze, his feet, they, it's like they had a glow to them. Have you ever uh, seen those passages throughout Scripture? Probably the best, most well-known one is about Moses when he saw the burning bush. Moses sees the burning bush out there on the mountain. He, he leaves the flocks and he goes over there to the burning bush, which is God appearing to him, calling him into service and ministry. What was the first thing God said to Moses? Take off your shoes. Why did God want Moses to, take, to be barefoot? It's kind of interesting. If you walk through the Bible and you think about shoes, shoes are one of those things we do in our lives to kind of lift us up and protect us from the earth. I mean, nobody wants to walk on gravel. Nobody, you know, wants their, the bottom of their feet to turn into leather. So early on in the history of mankind, I'm sure they invented some kind of shoe or sandal because bare feet connect us to the earth, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to admit that we came out of the dust. Well, here is Jesus Christ, and he is connected to the earth. But what does he do? He doesn't say, ouch, 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 stepped on a pebble, stepped on this and that, and all those things that, that I would do if I had to walk outside too much without shoes. Jesus Christ is purifying things wherever he goes. So he's got this white hair, these flaming eyes, these feet that are burning when it has been, uh, look at verse 16. And in his right hand he held seven stars. We've already seen that those seven stars, in verse 20 it says these are like the, either the seven angels, maybe the seven guardian angels of these churches. It'd be kind of nice to know that Fellowship Bible has its little guardian angel watching us. Or maybe this is just the messenger, like one of the, key leaders of the church, because the word angel basically means messenger. But it's some representatives of the church, according to verse seven or 20. In his right hand, he held those seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face shone like the sun in its strength. That's Jesus. That's the appearance of of Jesus Christ that John saw walking among the candlesticks as if to inspect them, to see how they're doing, to kind of hold them a little accountable for being the golden light that they're supposed to be. So we've seen his titles, we've seen this appearance. Look at the last couple of verses there. Verse 17, this is John's response. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus and John, some people think they were cousins. Some people think their mothers were sisters. And if that's true, John and Jesus knew each other from preschool on. I mean, they were in the church nursery together. 
They were in cubbies together, in sparks together. I mean, John and Jesus knew each other really, really well. Jesus, or John, knew Jesus really well. And here he is seeing this guy that perhaps he's known 85 years. And how does he respond? He says, he fell down as a dead man. He fell down as a dead man. I think he fell down as a dead man, not because he, well, he didn't see Jesus as the gentle and meek and lowly individual that we sometimes often do see. Not that that's wrong. He saw a bigger picture of Jesus. He saw a more complete picture of Jesus. He saw that Jesus is the judge. He saw that Jesus is going to be the executioner who will make all things right. He saw that Jesus is the one that really and truly will enact justice once and for all. And he falls down as a dead man. And here's what happened. Look at the second half of verse 17. And Jesus laid his hand, his right hand upon me, saying, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now, I want you to write these things up. Write what you've seen, write, write what, you're, what is, and write what's going to take place. And John said yes, and that's what he did. That was the image that, Jesus, that John saw that Sunday afternoon on the Lord's Day when God revealed Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the faithful witness. He is the, the Alpha and the Omega. And here he is, and he doesn't look like that 30-some rabbi teacher wandering around, breaking loaves and fish and feeding 5,000 people. He looks like someone ready to do business and make all things right. You know, I find it really fascinating when you think about it. The New Testament opens with four tellings of who Jesus Christ is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you read the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You read the Gospels and you see Jesus Christ. And the New Testament closes with another up-close and personal view of Jesus Christ. Over here, in the Gospels, we see the one who is the friend of sinners. But over here, in the book of Revelation, not to contradict that, not because that's not accurate, because that is very accurate, we also see that he's the judge. He's the sovereign. He's the king of kings. He is there, ready to pronounce justice on the earth. That's who Jesus Christ is. You know, when you, when you sit and think about this and you say, okay, now, 
what do I take away from this? What, 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 what do I grab from it just so that I got something to, to think about and chew on and provide some guidance for how this week, this week should be? What's, what's the so what of all of this? Well, I can think of two things right off the top of my head. One of the things you got to remember, I started off talking about justice and how the need for justice is there in so many areas of society and, and all of that stuff. Well, in the end, if there's anyone that is going to get justice, if there's anyone that's going to make things right, it's God. And he's going to do it through his son, Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the end, God wins. If you read through the rest of the book of Revelation, you know that's true. He does enact justice. And that ought to be a pretty sobering thing for all of us to sit and think about because it tells us that in reality, the relationship we have with Jesus Christ needs to be the most important relationship we have in all of life. To be honest, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are toast. It leads me to the second thing. He's the answer. He's the answer. I mean, if, if there was anything that the world needed to see, it's they need to see Jesus Christ. They need to see Jesus Christ as he's presented in the Gospels, but they also need to see how he's presented in the book of Revelation. Because he is the answer. What's the old hymn say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, the most important thing you could do, the most important thing I can do, is foster a relationship with Jesus Christ. It begins with, with faith and trust in what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. He stepped in, and as we read about there in verse eight, 7 or 8, I mean, he took care of the sin. And he has offered that forgiveness of sin through the death that he has provided for you. Have you trusted in him? Have you trusted in what he did for you on the cross of Calvary, that, that payment that he made on your behalf? That's how a relationship with him begins. I think sometimes we, we treat Jesus so cavalierly we do treat him as the meek and lowly guy that can be taken here and there. And if we've got a catastrophe, if we've got a crisis, yeah, we'll go to him. But he's just kind of someone that's nice to have over there on the shelf in case you need him. He's like that emergency fund that we're all supposed to have. You know, the car breaks down, you don't have the money, you got the emergency fund. This relationship goes, to, goes down the toilet, got Jesus. This job doesn't work out, got Jesus. This kid walking away from the faith, got Jesus. I mean, is that how you, I mean, is that your relationship with Jesus? You got a Jesus? No. It is to be a moment-by-moment, 
vibrant daily relationship with Jesus Christ, who not only is your Savior, as the Gospels present, he is your Lord, who you will give an account to. And the thing that is so wonderful about it is we have a kind and gracious Lord who paid the penalty for our sins. And he provides that justice. So let me ask you, what are you doing to keep that relationship with him alive? Keep it, keep it vibrant and growing. Because in reality, he's the answer. He's the answer. The answer is not in some other solution that the world might offer. The answer is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to begin to look at this incredible vision that you provided for us. And I pray, Father, that today uh, we would recognize the place that Jesus Christ has and should have in our life. Father, some of us here today, we've known the Lord, we've known your son for 60 years. But there's so many times we, we just have him over there on the shelf. He's just kind of a piece of decoration that we utilize when we need him. Father, I pray that today we would recognize that nothing could be further from the truth. Lord, today we want to be all about Jesus Christ. We want to be Jesus-centered, Jesus-exalting people. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand with us.